welcome back, Ag Watchers, to another episode. Uh, got myself, Andrew Whitelaw, Matt Dalgleish, and we've got Jessica Wallace all the way from sunny WA. Jess, Hello. how's it going? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I've been waiting and a little bit um, nervous to be coming on and chatting to you guys. Well, tell, tell us a bit about yourself. Where, where are you from? So I'm originally from Victoria. I'm from Macedon Ranges in Victoria. I wouldn't really call it remote by WA standards, um, but it is class as country, Vic, I guess. Um, so I'm from the lovely Macedon Ranges, and, yeah, that's about it from me. And you forgot, you forgot to mention, Jess, you're also a livestock leader. Oh, I am a livestock leader. Yes, I'm a fellow livestock leader and... Absolutely. Not another one. Love it. We're taking and, over. And Andrew, and we forgot to, neglected to mention that nowadays um, considered somewhat of a supermodel as well. Is that right? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Someone called me Nigella Lawson the other day and I thought, oh, that's awesome. But um, no, because I do like to cook a bit of food. But yes, I am in people's fridges on the milk carton of WA Farmers First. It um, hasn't gone to my head yet and people don't recognize me so I'm still anonymous which is fantastic but, so, so, um, so you haven't been in calls and nobody said to you oh is that you on the milk carton no I can still go through the checkout check out people at the checkout counter haven't asked me you know you should, if, you should, if that's you, me you, you should make it obvious when you're putting it through the till just walk it past <laughs> so you and, and you, put your you finger buy, against it you buy the milk you, you buy the milk with your face on it I do, actually. Yes, I do buy the milk because, you know, it really does support um, WA dairy industry. So, I, I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't go on something if I truly didn't believe in it. I'm a very morally sound sort of person. So I do buy the milk. Um, I am in my own fridge. Sometimes when, you know, things in policy aren't going my way, I have been known to pull out the carton and have a conversation with myself when I'm going a bit batty. Um, but no, it's good fun. It's a good laugh in the office too. We often laugh when I pull out the, the skinny milk or or the um, the full cream. I'm like, which version am I, the skinny Jess or the fat Jess today? It's pretty. It's pretty funny. It's a good laugh. <laughs> at least you're. Uh, at least you're not on the on the milk carton as a missing person. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I was in the in the US. I think I'd be a bit different, wouldn't it? <laughs> so so in, so. But you didn't mention. So you are the policy officer or. And, and responsible for policy for WA farmers. Is that right? That's yeah, right. yeah. So my main role is um, policy officer or is executive manager, whatever that means. Um, but basically, I I do the policy here at WA Farmers. Um, and my main portfolios are definitely livestock and grains. Um, I don't do dairy. Uh, we have uh, Laura Stocker, an amazing dairy EO, and she looks after our dairy portfolio because it is so complex. Um, so she looks after dairy. And then Trevor Whittington, he sort of does the general general policy and it, from a more political angle as well. So he kind of looks after more the political side and the telecoms, whereas I kind of come in behind and do the nitty gritty of the actual... Important, the important stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, it, yeah, the actual logistics of the whole operation I guess is sort of what I how I sort of fit into the team and try and make progress where I can. So what what are, what are the big policy things at the moment in ag in WA or, or even wider? Wider you... well I think obviously it is a it's definitely a national ag issue um, when we look at things in policy so nationally obviously COVID-19 actually had a huge effect on multiple supply chains and access to markets and there was a few big stalls in the WA market 
because we are such an export state. So the pig industry over here really suffered. Meat exports did stall. Um, and then there has been a lot of um, sort of container issues at, at mm. ports with, with CBH and getting, um, getting containers out because there's a global shortage of uh, shipping containers, basically. So each port around Australia are feeling shortages of, of shipping containers. Um, but because we are such an export state, we really are feeling it um, in terms of getting getting product out and where it needs to go. Um, so COVID-19, obviously, um, also looking at the cattle, as you'd know, the prices are through the roof and stock numbers are sort of down. So that has really affected, I guess, export, live export for cattle um, and just the cattle industry in general, really, like producers trying to restock over east. But then you've also got the WA base here that still want to hold, have their um, herds strong, but cattle prices are up too. So so that's been an issue. I mean, it's good because the cattle prices are high, but when it comes to supply, that's always going to be an issue. And then obviously cost of product too for consumers, which a lot of people leave out, um, but I'm very consumer focused. And I think that, you know, something's got to give and people, you know, you, you, that's a very fine line of, of um, you know, cattle prices to what actually people are going to buy and, and eat and buy the product. I think that's left out of the equation. A bit Matt, too much. <laughs> Matt, you, you've you've looked at that Matt in the past, like the the percentage of the cost of retail versus. Mm. I know I know they do it. In the, it's very it's very common in the UK. That's analysed is is the the price of the retail meat versus the price of of beef. But you did. I'm pretty sure I saw you do something on that recently. Yeah, that was a few months back now on the TM website. So we looked at just looked at an average kind of sale yard price for the nation uh, for cattle compared to the beef retail price as an average. And then did the same for sheep, uh, sheep meat or sheep and lamb combined. Um, Is it going up? Uh, yeah. Well, interestingly, the sheep and lamb one was particularly. I looked at lamb actually more specifically, but um, we did see uh, producer share of the retail dollar was going from about forty percent about two decades ago to about sixty percent now. So that's had a fairly steady trajectory. Uh, so, so, the that, so they're making more the, as a percentage the, of the retail price. So the both, so the margin of the seller is produced uh both the retail price and the sale yard price have increased over that period obviously but the sale yard price has increased at a faster rate and and so the, therefore the producer has been able to capture a bigger More of a margin. share of the retail dollar but for the and i think what what underpinning that was the um very strong growth we've seen in the last two decades uh, particularly for lamb exports uh so so really the the foreign markets kind of um, underpinning our local prices at the sale yard and also I think a bit of uh, supply chain efficiencies so within the sheep processing space the rollout of that robotic cutting uh, tool and and the scanning that that dual x-ray scanner DEXA scanning that MLA have been uh, putting through with I think Scott Technologies is the mob that are rolling that out across the country Um, throughout sheep uh, and lamb abattoir sites uh, it's about 20 nearly 25 percent of the nation's abattoirs have got it for their sheep and lamb uh, production or, or, or slaughter uh, process whereas in the beef space it's only about eight or nine percent uh, and obviously you know the technology I think started with the smaller carcass animals so so they could refine it and now they're starting to bring it across the, the beef side now but so there's been less I guess uh, efficiency gains in the supply chain in the beef space compared to uh, lamb and sheep so that that efficiency gain looks like it's been passed on to the consumer or to the to the producer all the way back down the supply chain so it's a combination i guess of, of 
big demand growth and supply chain efficiencies. The beef side of the business, um, it's it's pretty much the last two decades, it's about 30 to 40% of the retail dollar has gone back to uh, the producer. There was one time in 2016-17 when we saw cattle prices at the sale yard rally quite a bit. Uh, the last time we had a good season uh, and, and we saw it go to about 50%, but it didn't stay there very long. Um, but the, the cattle ones are much more gradual decline. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's. I mean, fascinating, is, Matt. It is. Fascinating. No, it, it is. Um, but on, well, on how, that, how how to turn a one sentence answer into five minutes of diatribe? I know, but this is why the you know whenever we catch up, when was the last time we caught up? This is why it's risky. Is because we can just keep going and talking and talking, and we'll go past you. So you have to upgrade. But, well, you, well, you can't. You can't because we don't have the budget to uh, oh, to go beyond yeah. the basic model. If maybe, maybe if Wolf was going to sponsor it. Oh, well, there we go. There's a suggestion. But I think you are right, Jess, like going back uh, to, to what you were saying about having, having a focus on the consumer mm. is important for agriculture in, in many ways because in the day, they're buying the product at the end. They are. Yeah, they really, really are. And, you know, it's not just within the beef space. I mean, the biggest, probably the my least favourite policy area, not because I it's just a difficult contentious issue but it's definitely the carbon and climate debate hmm. um, and I think that whatever goes forward in that we do have to make sure that we're like not Western Australian but all Australian uh, producers don't miss out on that but there is pressure coming from consumers um, and they, they many many get it but the majority don't and they're just so focused on um, what they produce, which is fine. But at the end of the day, when you've got conscious consumers, my generation or our generation. Um, not, not, not Matt's generation. He's, well, he's, a, he's, he's a couple <laughs> of generations above us. <laughs> but we are like, I know that you're a conscious consumer too, Andrew, and I am as well. Um, and we no. both work, we work, <laughs> we work in ads. I'm, so. I'm more conscious. I'm more conscious than he is, I think. Oh, there we go. I, I'm, I'm very, as a Scotsman, I'm very, I'm very price sensitive. Conscious of the price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, price sensitive. That's a, that's a PC way of putting it. I like that. <laughs> the interesting, the point you make there, Jess, so about um, that that consumer uh, requirement, I guess, or, or growing requirement for uh, the, the the red meat product to demonstrate some environmental credentials is is certainly a, a you know it's it's increasing. But one of the things I think, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts too, is that the the type of consumer that has that as one of their criteria, as in you know high um, sustainability credentials um, and low carbon capture and all that kind of narrative, they also are the type of consumer that's probably prepared to pay a premium if that if that product can demonstrate that that's what it is. So we, I don't think we're really talking about the commoditized end of the market uh, for that product. It is really a premium niche where, where yes, the consumer wants that, but they're also prepared to pay for it. And I think that's what often gets left out, Matt, in policy discussions is that we, at the end of the day, our meat products, we produce a premium meat product in Australia. Um, it doesn't even matter if it's, you know, high, high premium grade or the lower grade, it's still a premium product by global standards. So if we can really capitalise on that niche consumer that is conscious um, you know, we've sort of maxed out, I think personally maxed out everywhere we can go in terms of um, 
you know, I mean, beef prices are the highest they've ever been, efficiency, it's very efficient. I mean, you can always look at improving efficiency, but as an industry as a whole, Australia is a leader in that. So, okay, let's look at that now and let, let's see where we can improve to really capture that premium consumer that will pay top dollar because there's plenty of them out there. Um, and I think that's what has to be incorporated in policy discussions and and that sort of thing. And it's I think personally, um, I think the, the, the beef sector is leading the way um, definitely um, when it comes to sort of, you know, it's our biggest meat, our biggest meat market. Um, so beef is definitely leading the way in that um, and lamb, lamb's getting there and sheep meat's getting there. Um, but we've still got a long way to go. And I think trying to have the conversation with producers and, and producer mindset too, I think that's where we can come in and really um, sort of support that um, and sort of, you know, the culture of Australian meat production. I see it as a culture. I really do. And I think that if you've got your your big ticket items and where you want to go and there's a clear pathway and this is how we're tracking, we, we will definitely get there. Um, it's just making sure that we're not leaving the consumer out and not looking at the possibility of capturing those higher premium consumers who will pay. So, so, so there's a lot of talk there about the premium. I'm going to come in here as the devil's advocate for a second Yeah. about the premium of, of Australian beef. And, uh, and, and and meat products in general. <clears throat> At the moment, we're, we're in the process of trying to get a free trade agreement with the British Empire or, or, the, or the remnants of the British Empire. And, and it's interesting because there's a lot of <clears throat> a lot of talk from the UK of, you know, how we don't have the right the right standards. We do this, we do that and we do the other, which frankly is probably nonsense, a lot of it. And it seems to be in my view, a lot of the uh, a bit of protectionism and that British farmers don't necessarily want a new supply of, of, of lamb or, or cattle coming onto their market because, well, it dilutes their market, which is interesting because we know we've got good standards. However, when you talk to, you know, my uh, my mom, mother or my father or any of my friends back home who are, who are not farmers, but in their consumers, when, when they talk about the, the free trade agreement, they sort of say, well, fantastic. Looking forward to getting some cheap chops, you know, so, so, so there is that. And, and, a, but, but what are you hearing about this sort of free trade agreement and, and, and what's your opinions of, uh, of these sort of accusations? So I'm in a, I actually can't really talk on it um, purely because of a, from a policy point of view, I think I just don't want to, don't really want to go there. Um, just for the benefit of what we've been involved in. So just, um, but, just, just wink. Yeah, just right. wink. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think that any time, reality is this product going in now um, and it is under quota. So I'll just leave, leave it at that. Um, and maybe Matt can elaborate a little bit on his views. Um, but I would just say that it, it, it would be a more of a premium product. I don't see Australian produce going in there and flooding a market. And I'll just leave it at that. Maybe come in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from the from the kind of feedback I'm getting, you know, reading what's been discussed around this this concern, it looks as though the bulk of the UK population feel it, like you said, Andrew, and the consumer side are fairly comfortable with Australia getting greater access. And I think you know we've, they're probably wet. Like we, if if I look back to 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 when I was growing up, yeah, like 
everybody wanted Brazilian or Argentinian beef because my mother wouldn't feed me British beef because she didn't want me getting foot and mouth disease. She didn't want me going mad and or or, or or mad cow disease. Yeah. Are you sure you didn't eat any of that beef? No. <laughs> just, just, just sneaked a little bit for, for a long t- for a long time. My mother wouldn't let me eat lamb either because she was when I was like a very small infant because she thought it was potentially contaminated from Chernobyl. So maybe my mother's not the best one to uh, use example, (laughs) but, but it's the same thing. Like consumers like in the UK are used to imports from all of the world. Mm. And, and clearly from a, from a cost of production perspective and and the economy of scale, the Australian producer has over the British uh, farm or British livestock farmer, um, you know, we're, we're definitely going to be able to undercut them at the, you know, at the wholesale and retail level and, and with a good quality product. So there's, I can see, understand the concern then from the farmer's perspective and I guess what they're trying to do is grapple at any, any other way that they can, um, they can kind of say, oh, our product's not up to standard, whether it's, you know, I think I saw one just yesterday where there was a, a letter written into one of the British MPs saying that Australian farmers use excessive amounts of antibiotics or something along those lines and which is, you know, clearly a, a fabrication of what we do. Um, but, you know, any of those kind of non-quality, non-kind non of um, price areas is where they're trying to, um, where the British farmers trying to make a differentiation between their product and, and a potential Australian one. Um, the only thing, I'd, the other point I'd make is that there was some, uh, some reporting saying that, that it's, they're less concerned over the longer term about the Australian situation and more concerned that it will set a precedent with Australia getting access, then the US will get access. And that's, that's I think, something that they're equally as concerned about if they start to get flooded with other, you know, much larger players in the space. And I think that if you're looking at trade agreements in general, I think that's always a concern as soon as there's, you know, it can set a precedent. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how it unfolds. Um, But we do have a nice product. So I'm sure that your family would love to eat (laughs) some Australian lamb and beef, Andrew. Oh, they're, they're, they're definitely looking forward to it. The, the other product we've actually done a lot of into UK this year is uh, rapeseed or, or canola. I think about 10% of our canola has actually gone to the UK this year into, into Liverpool. So we're actually starting to, you know, transfer a lot of our stuff over there, you know, including, you know, football managers. <laughs> yeah, <I saw. laughs> we've got a bet on. Yeah, we've got a bet on that one. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's, oh, let's, put, let's put this bet on to publicly. Public so, you can't, so you can't so watch on it. So you can't back out on it again. This Angie, I don't, I can't, I don't even know his name because he's Postacoglu. such a Postacoglu. Postacoglu. <laughs> You're after a good stuff. <laughs> because, he, because he's such an unknown, I don't even know his name. <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> he will be gone by Christmas. Right. He won't be able to put up with the pace of. of Scottish football and the uh, and the scrutiny that he'll be under. They'll be, he'll be he'll be gone after by Christmas. Fifty dollars, Matt, and we've mm. got a bet on. We've that. agreed on that bet last night. So I've got more 50. faith. I've got more Gosh. faith. Wow, we 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 poor we poor. You guys um, are on a budget. Gosh. Podcast <laughs> poor podcast producers. Jess, we, we haven't got the the lavish amounts of money that some of these people in government backed enterprises have. No. <laughs> I actually don't follow football or soccer um at all so i can't actually make comment on this uh particular debacle sorry anyway, about that we, we, we just wanted to get that public in the public domain <laughs> so, that, 
so that it can be called upon in a court of law at a later date. <laughs> uh, so you obviously spent a lot of time talking to farmers in uh, in Western Australia, having chit chats and whatnot over a, mm. over a, over a glass of cold skimmed milk. Um, <laughs> the uh, what what's the big thing that, apart from the carbon and stuff? What's the big thing on the mind? What what is the general trend that you hear from people over the last year or so? Um, well, I think it depends on the commodity. I do spend a lot of time on the phone um, talking to different farmers across multiple commodities. But obviously for the grain growers over here, um, efficiency um, and productivity gains, we don't have a workforce. Um, so that's something that we've been lobbying really hard on is we, we're actually really cautious of what's going to happen come this season. As you know, the, the, the figures are, the harvest figures are, predictions I should say are looking pretty good um, we have a mass shortage of truck drivers and train drivers further down the grain supply chain in WA um, so that's keeping a lot of them up at night um, purely that they can't get access to workers they're overtired they're overworked you know we've just come out of seeding and whilst it's been a really good start to the season over here and everyone's had rain and there's really good tones in in everyone's voice they're bloody tired. They're really tired. It's been a, a big slog of a, a seeding, um, especially for our growers up around Geraldton um, that got hit by a cyclone Saroja. Yeah. Um, they've put in a really hot, hard slog um, this seeding and they're tired. Um, so they're tired now. Then they've obviously got spraying in a few months or some of them are already spraying now. Um, and then harvest straight up. It's, it's, you know, I'm always cautious about how much of a break they're actually going to get um, and ability to turn the crop off. Um, so with that, obviously, there's more interest towards moving to autonomous machinery. So we've got our forum coming up um, in a couple of weeks and we'll be having a big focus on, um, you know, efficiency gains and autonomous machinery, which WA Farmers has been a part of in the code through Grain Producers Australia um so we'll be yeah we'll be looking at those things um that's, that's going to be held at muresk is that right yeah we're having it out at muresk so it's our first time having it out there so hopefully all goes well and um <laughs> we can keep having them out there and i think we love getting out in the country um over here i mean we're a small very small team compared to some of the other sfos and but we we love getting out into the regions as much as we can um and touching base with growers out there um they really appreciate it and it's just nice to get out of the city and muresk is beautiful as well oh it's absolutely beautiful and one of the most underutilized facilities i think in wa um so it's good to go over there just on that um that issue with the storm just i know i can't remember who was speaking to andrew Me. Was it? Well, I speak to you far too frequently. No, me. My, oh, me. I thought you said me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, just about the, it was me, yeah, the product, um, like shed materials and, and getting product up to, for repairs, there was a bit of a significant delay. Do you know if, if that's been resolved or are the farmers there? I know at the time we spoke to May, she said that they were just focused on seeding and it just basically left any repairs to, the, to you know, pushed back. But, um, you know, do you know if, if if they've been able to get, you know, shedding materials or whatever else they need to, to think, kind of fix things? To be honest, Matt, it's only just starting now. I think that it was all guns blazing with just getting the crop in the ground. Um, I was speaking to one of our bigger growers up there earlier this week and 
only next week he'll begin turning attention to sort of the damage and the damage control, which is always, you know, always such a big worry because um, these sorts of events, when you're in flight mode, you know, they don't sink in until a few a few months later. So I don't think we've seen the, the actual true effects yet. And I hope that there are services out there through Grain Growers Limited, um, mental health programs and stuff for grain growers, just because I don't think it's really hit them yet. They've just been guns are blazing trying to get the crop in. And now when the damage control goes in um, or analysis is done, I think that'll really dictate how much actually needs to be repaired. Um, there was obviously delay trying to get little, well, not little things, but like generators and equipment up just to get seeding underway. Um, I don't think we've seen the start of it yet, to be honest. Mm. Well, we'll see next couple of months. Insurance claims and stuff are always a bloody nightmare as well. Like Matt and I have been through that in the past with mm, that's right, yeah. storm at the pig farm. That was just a disaster. Mm. And that was three years ago. But the other one I always want to cover off on is state farming organizations. One of the biggest challenges they've got is actually getting members through and getting the future, you know, our generation, not Matt's generation, our generation involved, not the, not the, not the boomers like Matt, but <laughs> what, what are you guys doing to get, uh, and this is a loaded question because I already know the answer, but what, what are you guys doing to get like younger farmers and agribusiness professionals involved? So, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with trying to get producers involved in advocacy and also agribusiness professionals or just industry people involved in state farming organizations in general um so we actually have ag connect uh, which is an arm of wa farmers which concentrates on the sort of next general current younger generation when i say younger it's 30 i think it's 40 and under now i think it was 35 and under but i think they widened it a little bit <laughs> um to try and capture them um so they're quite active in wa um hmm. and they also sit they can elect to come onto the commodity councils and sit on the commodity councils and have a discussion around the policy table, which is where we need them at the end of the day. And it's actually one of the biggest issues that I see with advocacy in general in Australian ag is there's not enough diversity in people coming through the advocacy ranks and thinking. Um, so I think that we really need to try and get the right not the right people but diverse thinking around the table um, in having these national and state policy discussions um, because often I find it's not representational um, at all of, of the thinking of the farmers out there um, so something I'm really really passionate about we've had a bit of a restructure on the WA Farmers Livestock Council we've got a special expertise on there now and, and it's actually quite a young council um and then we've always had special expertise on grains but because you, you've, um, you've got one of our friends on there nathaniel or here nathaniel yep nathaniel's he, on my grains council yeah he's, he's a very smart fellow he is he's also a huge policy support for me shout out to nathaniel in biosecurity he's got a really good interest in biosecurity and he he, he goes along to all the meetings and fills in for me and he's across it so uh, for me trying to manage multiple portfolios it's people like Nathaniel that I lean on a lot um to to be the ears and nose on the ground <laughs> um and then filter it back up so 
Yeah, he's very involved. I Connect have done a really good job at re-establishing it. They had a dodgy Scotsman involved there a while ago, <laughs> didn't they? Just, um, and so they managed to kind of get past that error and, and kind of lift themselves out of the mire that he I've, would have put them in. I was I was the second president of uh, Connect in you, in 2000-something. When I, I was... probably know that. I don't. Is that bad that I did not know that? Well, I knew you, you were involved on the committee, you, but I didn't realize you were pres. That's pretty you, impressive. You should have been involved. <laughs> you should have known that. So, so that was I, I was partially responsible for encouraging it to change from just being farmers to being yeah. the broader industry, which I thought was quite important. It needs to be. And you know what? All policy <clears throat> needs to be the whole industry. Um, you know, when you think about it from an advocacy point of view, farmers are actually... Them, like they're the biggest part, but they're actually a, a majority in the supply chain. So if you don't have a cross representation of the whole supply chain there, how are you going to come out with rounded policy? Well, I, I, I completely 100% agree that you need to get you know the whole supply chain, even 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 some some well-founded and well-knowledgeable analysts. Definitely. <laughs> well, you guys can come and present at any time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of these things where, you know, it, it's quite a debate within the advocacy um, realm as well. But, you know, it all normally always comes down to votes, you don't have to give them a vote, but having them sitting around the table and feeding in information is just crucial. I mean, if you're all sitting around the table and agreeing with each other, well, that's not very fun, is it? It's, you know, to get good policy, you need robust discussion and different devil's advocate viewpoints and that so, sort of thing so there's a scottish expression expression <laughs> i've only heard it a hundred times <laughs> is too much agreement kills the chat and yeah. and you should have as many diverse opinions as possible mainly you, because mainly because it, mainly because scottish it, people it. scottish people are so cantankerous that <laughs> we uh we can never agree on anything you say it with a bit more of a thicker accent no, I'm not, not on, not on, I'm not a performing monkey, Matt. <laughs> I'm doing pretty well to understand you. <laughs> I hope, I hope WA Farmers has a diversity policy that includes insulting people's accents. Oh, we probably do. Maybe I'll, 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 that. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll take a written apology, please. Actually, when I, when I first moved to Queensland, I, when I was working for Suncorp Bank at the time, I had to... I had to get my colleague to translate for me the first week. I couldn't understand a thing the North Queenslanders were saying to me. So that might make you feel a bit better. <laughs> I, can't, I can't understand Matt's Dandenong brogue either. <laughs> <laughs> Not Masson and Rangers, though. Oh, Masson and Rangers is a bit posh. So it's, bit, it's, it's, it's very eloquent. <laughs> so, so we're actually starting to, to run slowly down on time do you want to give a plug for the wolf conference that's in a few weeks time that we yeah. that we weren't invited to speak at although i, I have i have presented that a few times over the years uh, but anyway maybe can... the next one you can definitely come i actually did the program so if it's a crappy program and nobody likes it <laughs> yeah i'm a bit nervous for that i think it'll like, be good so you'll have to just fall back onto the modeling career then yeah maybe the modeling career can <laughs> get so me through you're talking to talking to Jessica or talking to me? Well, I know that you do some modelling for Crocs, but modeling, actually, but... I'll tell you, whilst whilst we're running out of time, I will I'll tell you one story about an event I went to at Wharf that was one organised by one of your ex employees, another fellow Scot, Megan <laughs> McNeil. 
from the uh, from up north. So she's a bit of a she's got a funny accent. Uh, <laughs> but it was an event at the Waka, and it was a lunchtime event. I can't remember what the event was for, but the meal option was just vegetarian lasagna. Really. Well, that wouldn't happen with me and, around, <laughs> and that that didn't go. I think, and that didn't go down particularly well with uh, with all the uh, all the farmers that are coming to the city. Oh, so, so, so that's that's a tip for you: is don't make sure there's a, there's a meat option. Oh, always meat options. I'm a hardcore carnivore, so it's um, the food. The food options are good. I'm excited. I've had input into the food options, so hopefully we never have that um, that mistake again. Um, but yeah, so the events on the 24th and 25th of June at Muresk Institute in Northam. Uh, the first day is the NFF Day and a National Outlook, um, mm -hmm. as well as a bit of you know WA general policy. We've got the minister coming along, um, and a few other big VIPs. And then the second day is the WA Farmers Livestock and Grains AGMs and then followed by their forums. So for grains, we've got a concentration on autonomous machinery and productivity and efficiency. And then livestock is basically all on um, ENVDs, traceability, compliance, that sort of thing. Um, so it should be a bit of fun. We've got some live demos with Nutrien as our main sponsor um and it'll be really good <laughs> so no it sounds good like i've, I've always enjoyed the, the wolf conference I, I i think i've been to probably six or seven of them over, over the years and so like it's always a good fun event and lots of people that i know who go to them so hopefully you enjoy it but we are running out of time so thanks very much jess for coming along and uh putting up with us as we as we pestered you to come on to the show or thanks for having the episode <laughs> uh, so i'll just do a bit of the outro so thanks very much for listening uh, if you enjoyed the podcast share it with your friends and family leave a re review retweet it put it on your bebo talk about it on your clubhouse i uh, see that's that's some, you you know that is my clubhouse I hardly know anything you talk about, mate. Exactly. So. Put it on your TikTok uh, if you're Clint Jasper, and uh, and and put it on your MySpace. So, yep, Jess, thanks for uh, thanks for coming along. Thanks See you for having me. <laughs>